0: Lord God, our Father, how humbling it is to call you Father. How amazing at the same time. You care for us, and we can see that in how you've preserved your word for us. We thank you so much for it. We thank you that we not only, not only get to praise you in song and in our hearts and in prayer and in readings, but we also get to sit and listen and to learn from your word. Lord, prepare our hearts. May we have hearts to receive your word, to allow it to change us to be more like Jesus Christ, our Lord, so that we serve you and bring you glory through our lives always. Amen. Thanks, Sarah.
1: Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, But the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned.
0: Good morning friends. Uh, It's great to be here together Um, and we are looking at a fantastic psalm to finish off our little series in the psalms that's taken us through July. It's a psalm I think with something for everyone, uh, especially precious to those who are broken in heart and crushed in spirit. The Lord is with you. Uh, We've already prayed. I'm going to pray again though that the Lord might be with us as we look at this word together. Let's pray. Lord, may we, may we taste and see for ourselves that you are good. May we know that. May we take it deep into us. And thank you that we can know that through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you, our Father, in his name. Amen. Well, uh, this psalm opens up, it talks about, it, uh, it, it opens up by saying, I will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. So the question we're thinking about today is what would it take for someone, let's say someone in cynical 21st century Australia, what would it take for someone like that to say that? I will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. What would it take for you to say that? I reckon many Aussies, uh, for many of Aussies, this kind of permanent praise uh, probably brings to mind something like this, uh, you know, someone who's a bit of a fraud trying to manipulate you with a shiny green on the outside, you know, kind of a, a fake veneer on the outside, or maybe on the other hand, it brings to mind something like this, not so much a fraud as just someone who's detached from reality right? He's kind of switched off from the everyday concerns of everyday people, no idea about the real struggle of life. How can you call people to praise God at all times in this world, in my world, with all of my disappointments and anxieties and pain? Well, last week, if you were with us last week, we looked at Psalm 62 and we heard King David call his people to trust in the Lord at all times, to rest in him. What what we're going to see in this psalm is that same person, God's anointed King David, calling his people not only to trust in God, to rest in him, he kind of takes another step here and calls his people to praise him at all times, to praise him. Uh, Let's have a look at the psalm. It'll come up on the the screen. Verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Uh, It's an amazing way to start his psalm, isn't it? What does David mean here when he talks about praise, glorify, exalt? Uh, sometimes we talk about praise as being singing to, uh, uh, singing to God together. Uh, uh, praise includes that, of course, but uh, lifting our voices in song is a key way that we together celebrate God's goodness uh, and we spur each other on. And actually, through this psalm, I think there's a clear focus on the gathered worship of God's people here, the gathered worship of God's people. Um, David calls his people together together to glorify the Lord, to publicly declare and celebrate God's greatness together. But there's something else going on here too. There's something else. I think it expands our view of what it means to praise God. Uh, David talk, talks about, he's already talked about it, we, we've we talked about it, extolling the Lord at all times. So that doesn't mean David goes around constantly singing. Um, as you read on in this psalm, What you find out is David has a whole-of-life picture in mind. He talks about the words we speak later in the psalm. He talks about turning from evil and doing good. He talks about seeking and pursuing peace. So for David, this praise of God is a whole-of-life thing. Uh, if you've got another translation to the one we use, uh, in verse 3 there, you might have the word magnify instead of um, glorify. They're both good translations. But what, what magnify brings out, though, is I think a really helpful sense. Uh, to magnify something is to make it bigger. Uh, we can't make God bigger in himself. Like, we don't you know, make him literally bigger. Uh, but I reckon it's a bit like this, a bit like using a telescope to go whale-watching. Right, you, don't, you don't make the whale bigger, but you make your vision of it bigger. You make your vision of it bigger. David is calling God's people to make their vision of God magnified, bigger. So he has a greater and greater place in your thoughts and your actions in your feelings. And that's both when we gather together and also every moment of the day. Uh, that's what it means to magnify the Lord, to exalt his name together. And what's really striking, I think, about this psalm is that David really does mean praising God at all times, both the good times and the bad times, both on the mountaintop and right down in the pit. Uh, that's why we read it, he calls the afflicted to join with him and to to rejoice, to hear and rejoice. He's not calling the afflicted to do anything that he doesn't lead them in. Uh, This is one of the few psalms, you might have picked it up, we didn't read it out, but you might have picked it up, and if you looked at it in home groups, um, hopefully you picked this up as well. It's one of the few psalms in in the book of Psalms that gives us a really clear historical setting for the psalm. Uh, right at the start, actually, if we're able to flick back, sorry, it's not in, in the slides, I didn't put it there, but if we can flick back to verse 1, and then you'll need to jump back to where we're up to, sorry about that, um, you can see it up there, uh, right before the psalm starts. It says, that the psalm is set when David pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. Uh, we can read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 21, so flick forward to that picture if you can. Um, uh, you can read about this story. It's a bit of a graphic representation of it. It's a really intense story. Him, and he en- David ends up taking this really risky move of going to a place in the Philistine territory of Gath. It's risky because Israel's in this kind of ongoing conflict with the Philistines. And not only that, David was at the head of it, right? Uh, if you re- remember Goliath... Um, he's a Philistine, but D- David is in such fear of his life, he, he chooses to go to Gath, to the Philistine territory, and get out of the reach of Saul, but his plan backfires. He goes before the king, uh, whose name is Achish. Uh, in, in Psalm 34, you might have heard he's given the name Abimelech. It's probably a royal name, kind of like Pharaoh or Caesar, um, but in 1 Samuel, his, his name is Achish. Um, Anyway, he he goes there, but this servant recognizes him as the great David, the great leader of Israel's armies, the great opponent of the Philistines. Uh, And David gets terrified by this and he does the only thing he he can think of. He pretends to be completely insane, like totally mad. Uh, He goes wild and we're told he starts scratching at doors and drooling like a dog. And it works. (laughs) It works. So Akish, uh, the king in Gath, he looks in, at David in, in, in disgust and chucks him out and David gets, makes, a, makes a quick getaway. He runs away and starts hiding in a cave. Now, on one level, it's a story about David's quick thinking, right, and maybe his acting ability, I don't know. Um, but David himself knows, and we see this in this psalm, he knows that the secret of his escape wasn't himself, but his Lord, his Lord. This experience becomes for David a profound experience of God's goodness. So verse 4, David writes, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. David was afraid. He was afraid in this situation, terrified. And he's also really conscious of his own frailty and weakness. Verse 6, this, he calls himself this poor man. <laughs> this poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. So you've got this guy, David. He's a terrified, poor, weak, vulnerable man. But he has a mighty God. Who has heard him and has saved him. And David shares his testimony. Uh, he says, he basically says, Let me tell you how good God has been to me. How how wonderfully he's saved me. It's a pretty good thing to do, right? Uh, to share your testimony in that way. But but this goodness of God. Uh, isn't just something for David. David knows that. He kind of expands out his personal experience to something that's like a, a universal truth about God. So in, back in verse 5, he makes this claim, those who look to him, to God, are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Now, think about David back in 1 Samuel 21. What was his face like? It, it was anything but radiant, right? Right? Uh, I looked up how to get a radiant face. Uh, uh, I googled it, and apparently it means... uh, Here's how you get some advice. You cleanse, exfoliate, hydrate. And for a fast fix, you try a face mask or a shimmery lotion to boost your glow. There you go. Uh, But David's (laughs) David's face... Can you picture him? He's hiding out in this cave after fleeing for his life, covered in dirt, covered in his own saliva... Imagine the shame of having to pretend insanity just to, just to stay alive. But David sees through all of that. Even in what would, be, what would seem to be the most shameful situation, he says, those who look to this God do shine. They reflect his lights. Their, their faces are never covered with shame even if they're covered with dirt and spit. <laughs> they are protected by God. That's that great image that's used. He goes, God goes before them and behind them. In verse 7 it says, the angel of the Lord, that's an Old Testament way of talking about God himself coming in, uh, in sort of visible form to the earth. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. So that's David's experience. And he's, he said, this is who God is. This is how he relates. And he wants his people to share his experience. So he shifts gear in verse 8, and he, and he urges them to taste this for themselves. This beautiful verse, verse 8. David urges them. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So imagine you've never tasted an apple before, right? Just imagine. You'd never tasted an apple before. You could read all the books you like. Uh, You could have friends telling you how delicious they are. You could look at it. You could cut it up, dissect it, theorize about it. But unless you taste it, unless you jump in and sink your teeth into it, let its sweetness fill your mouth, feel the crunch under your teeth, you'll never know how good it is. How good it is. And what we have here is an invitation not just to theorize about God or to speculate about how he could be good, but to actually taste to sink your teeth into, to experience for yourself, personally, firsthand. And what is it that we're invited to taste? Actually, it's not a what, is it? It's a who. It's God himself. And David says this is an experience of God that's like a feast. Take a bite of the Lord and see for yourself that he is God. Good, he will satisfy you. Well, what you get is you keep reading, it's, I think it's quite interesting. Tasting this goodness of God, David puts that in parallel. It basically is the same thing as fearing him. Fearing him, that kind of comes up through the next little section there. Verse 9, fear the Lord, you his holy people. Those who fear him lack nothing. Well, down in verse 11, he says, Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Uh, we've seen this before in the Psalms. We've mentioned it in this series. We actually had a whole sermon on it earlier in the year on the fear of the Lord. Uh, this fear of God, it's not a cowering fear, a, not a terror, but a deep and transforming awe at both the glory and the goodness of God, his majesty and his love. That kind of fear means, in in verse 10 you keep reading, that kind of fear means that you seek him. You draw your strength from him. Or down in verse 13, you seek to please him in your life, to keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. And verse 14, to turn from evil and to do good, to seek peace and pursue it. And David's astounding claim here is that those who feast on God, who fill themselves up with this good and holy fear of the Lord, lack no good thing. Lack no good thing. He doesn't say they lack no comfort, he doesn't say they lack nothing that they want. This isn't a promise of a pain-free and easy life. David lacked plenty of good things, holed up in a smelly cave, right? But here's the point. The main, the main point, the thing that totally turns everything upside down, gives you a new perspective on life, the thing that meant David could praise God even in the pits, the reason he calls the afflicted to join him in that, in that praise, they lack no good thing not because their life is prosperous and easy, but because they have God. Because they have God. The God who himself is the source of all goodness. That's why he can say those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Because whatever else they might lack in this life pales compared with the ultimate goodness that they have in God. Taste that he is good. And the promise of this psalm is that you will be satisfied whatever else is going on. And that's a huge claim to make, right? It's a a massive claim to make. And maybe you're thinking, Really? I mean, really? that's putting a lot of trust in God, right? For me to say, if I have Him, I have enough. I have every goodness that I need. And I think that's why at the end of this psalm, David kind of turns his telescope. He's been pointing it at himself, strangely. Uh, the, the, the metaphor doesn't quite work there, but you get what I mean? It's been focused on himself. Uh, then it's been focused on his people, and now he points the telescope, and now he's focused. he uh, he's focuses it in on God himself in this last section of the psalm. He magnifies the Lord. He shows us that it is not foolish to trust this God to give your everything over to him. He shows us that it makes sense that he is in fact the only sure refuge in this world what kind of a God is so good that just to know him and to take refuge in him means that you will lack no good thing what kind of a God is that good well the God that David came to know and he urges us to know the God who sees and hears the cries of his people. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But he doesn't just see and hear, he acts. He acts as well. Verse 16, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them, doesn't just hear them, he delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles. There it is, that's the reality. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the the Lord delivers him from them all. That's the promise. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. God sees and hears and acts in both judgment and salvation for the good of his people David had tasted that goodness for himself. But even the taste that David had, the taste that he gives, he, he gives a testimony about, even that amazing taste, even it was just a shadow compared to the fullness of God's goodness that was poured out in Jesus. See, this psalm wonderfully, I think, wonderfully points us to him, to Jesus Jesus is the Lord who has come down to encamp around his people, to be with them, who by his Spirit does that, the one who saw and heard our cries and who acted in power and in love to save us at the cross. And not only that, uh, something quite interesting that happens when the Apostle John records the account of Jesus' death in John's Gospel, he, he notes that unusually, Jesus' legs don't get broken uh, as, he's on the, as he's crucified, because he'd already died. And then John quotes this psalm. psalm you might have picked it up as you read through. Not one of his, He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. And, and John quotes this psalm by saying, this is now being fulfilled. See what he's doing? He's identifying Jesus with this this righteous person in Psalm 34. Jesus is the true God. He's also the true human. He's the son who perfectly knew his father's goodness, who trusted that he would deliver him. He is so close to the brokenhearted that he became one of them. Isn't that wonderful? He allowed himself to be crushed for our sin but in his resurrection he saw the light of life and was satisfied and friends it's through being united to him to Christ by faith that this psalm can become yours too that you can know for sure that God does hear your cries that he has acted Injustice and mercy at the cross and he will act on the last day to bring evil to an end and to deliver his people from all their troubles from all your troubles that we who take refuge in him can say with confidence with the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, David had, we've seen this, David had many things that kind of would threaten to stop him from praising God. Uh, and, and from gathering God's afflicted people to praise him too. There were many things happening in his life that would stop him from doing that. But over and against all of those, all of those struggles, all of his heartbreak and suffering, over against all of that was David's knowledge of his God his personal experience of his saving goodness. And with that in his view, kind of magnifying that, that's why he could joyfully and without pretense and not ignoring life's struggle but fully aware of it, that's why he could call his people to join him in glorifying his good Lord to taste and see for themselves that he is good. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, our perfect, eternal, anointed King Jesus does the same for us. That same saving goodness is ours perfectly, eternally in him. He calls us and empowers us by his Spirit to glorify his Father with him, and together to exalt his name, to learn from him the fear of the Lord that will fill us up so that we can say, I have taken refuge in him, and therefore I lack no good thing. So, church family, glorify the Lord with me. With our Lord, our King Jesus. Glorify the Lord. Let us exalt his name together. Let me pray. Lord, we face many things that might take us away from living lives of praise to you. Our God, fill us. With such a vision of yourself, magnify your greatness and your holy name in our eyes. Give us such a taste of your sweetness that we can join with Jesus our King in bringing praise to you all the time. Lord, I pray for all of us wherever we're at. Especially, Lord, I pray for any who have not yet tasted and seen your goodness. Please do a work in their hearts by your Spirit. For all of us gathered together, Lord, uh, we pray, I pray as we go out today that we might praise you as we gather and as we go our ways into this week. Teach us what that means to fear you in everyday life. And we pray this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.